Welcome to the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. This is a show about pushing through obstacles and hard times in order to live a happy and fulfilled life. I'm your host, Ted Fayton, and it's a pleasure to have you joining us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's grow. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. So glad to have you with us here today. Also, I'm very glad to have on the Zoom call with me today, John Constantine of ArcPoint Labs CEO. John, how are you doing this, this afternoon? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I usually try and avoid saying like afternoon, morning or whatnot, because I know the listeners could be <laughs> listening at any part of the day. Yeah, you never know. But um, here we are recording this on an afternoon, and um, there's a lot we can talk about with ArcPoint Labs and the work that you're doing. Um, but just want to introduce you really quick to our listeners that might not be familiar with, with who you are. So why not let them know who you are and what it is you do? Yeah, sure. So uh, John Constantine, I've uh, been with ArcPoint Franchise Group for about three and a half years. Came to, to Greenville by way of Atlanta for a year. Uh, even uh, did a little bit of time in East Africa, spent a couple months over there building a hospital. And before that, uh, Indianapolis, uh, born in Chicago. Uh, so kind of a kind of a vagabond life, I guess. Uh, yeah, life in Indianapolis uh, that that kind of anchored us there for about fifteen years before we kind of got the bug to get out and let's let's go see what the world's like. But yeah. we love Greenville. Uh, we've been super happy to move here. You have the mountains right here. I mean, for an Indiana boy, the fact that I can see mountains on my commute downtown, mm-hmm. and I can get to the beach in two and a half hours. Dude, it didn't get any better than this. Yeah, moving here from New York, I think the biggest thing that took me away about Greenville was when you drive on uh, 385 towards downtown Greenville, you kind of make this turn and you see the mountains in the distance and you go from the mountains to the, like, the city skyline. To me, that was amazing. It was the first time I saw anything like that. That's right. That's right. It almost feels like a mini Denver or something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. With so many cities um, kind of in your repertoire, in your background, um, what sports teams do you pres- prescribe to? Depends on who's winning. Completely. There you go. <laughs> uh, although I did, I did know the Super Bowl shuffle back in '84 for the Bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had season tickets throughout the the 2000s with the Colts uh, when we were in Indy. Uh, man, Peyton Manning did some crazy cool things for that city. Just, yeah. just kind of a humanitarian, a nice guy. And Indy was a small enough town to have that big of a superstar that you just see him out in restaurants and. And he was the, the most authentic dude that, that you could ever imagine. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I saw him walk into, a, walk into a bar after one of the games. It was the game that he broke the touchdown record with Marvin Harrison. And I happened to have my Peyton Manning jersey on. Mm-hmm. And so I saw him walk across the front. And he comes in a side door. And so I just stand right there. And the bouncer <laughs> lets him by, lets me by. And, and he just goes like this, turn around. And he signed the back of my jersey right there. It was such a, like, such a cool experience, right? Wow. He's just a county. Yeah, um, never really got into sports in Atlanta. Um, got into the World Cup with some of our international travel. We were actually in uh, Columbia, South America during the World Cup a few years ago, and realized that that's like a it's like a, a multi week Super Bowl that never ends when you're outside the United States watching that. So so that was cool, but. Uh, yeah, nice. and then I guess I'm supposed to say a Greenville Drive fan. Now that I'm here, is that right? Yeah, I'm a, I'm Greenville, Greenville Drive. Drive. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Um, I do want to take the listeners back really quick because uh, with our phone call, and I love the fact that you were mentioning kind of the access to to uh, see Manning in person, right? And you, you mentioned coming from a place where there were expectations and you almost grew up with the belief like, hey, one person can change the world. Um, before CEO, before all that, 
I want to kind of peel back to that beginning and how that can be so helpful for someone. Any of the listeners who, who might not be up close and personal to greatness, how can they kind of prescribe themselves to start believing in themselves and the, really the possibilities that are out there? Gosh. Um, well, I could, I could probably take the easy way out and say that it's luck right? You have to be in the right place at the right time. There's a little bit of luck to it, right? But, but then there's also people, whenever I say that, they say, well, you know, you can also position yourself to have a higher chance at luck, right? You can, you can make sure that you're on the lookout for something that's going to be able to, to have a positive impact. But, you know, there, there's a couple of reasons why, that I guess there's a couple of threads that are consistent, regardless of, of who I've known, um, that tend to be able to have a major impact on lots of people. Um, one, you got to look for it, man. You got to look for those opportunities. If you're looking for those opportunities, then you find what you look for. If you're looking for ways to take care of yourself, if you're looking for ways to be self-serving, I need to make more money. I want to get that next house. I want to find that beautiful girl, whatever it is, right? If you're looking for that next thing, then you're looking at what you're going to get out of it. But if you're always looking for an opportunity to provide something, maybe it's little, right? Maybe it's that dude that's in the parking lot that, that that's car isn't starting and you have jumper cables in the back and uh, it was awesome. My son and I were in, in a parking garage coming back and, and that happened. There was a guy sitting there and, and I go, dude, look at what we're going to, look at what the, we have the opportunity to do. Right. And so we stopped, we helped him jump the car. The dude was so appreciative. And, and the, the thing that comes into my mind is just this idea of like, um, thank you for allowing me to serve you. Like, gosh, it's just a, it's an opportunity for me to be able to just feel good for a second. And it took all the five minutes, but, but we were singing songs and high-fiving that we, that we supported some guy on the way home because we got to feel amazing at it. So if you're looking for those opportunities to serve other people, then listen, I think you're going to find it. And the more that you do that, the, the opportunities get bigger and they get bigger and they get bigger and they get bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, you never know. Sometimes you might be supporting millions of people. Yeah. And that's amazing because um, I remember reading a study and someone was mentioning Christmas being the happiest time of the year. And while some believe it's the happiest time of the year because they're receiving gifts, it's actually the opposite. People feel most fulfilled because they're giving gifts during that time. And by giving gifts to others, fulfilling somebody, someone else's dreams, like, oh, maybe the child wanting a Tonka truck for their birthday or for, for Christmas, being able to give them that is what makes people feel so good. It's amazing because I can sense right away just your spirit of serving and, and helping others and, and not just the spirit, but the joy that you get from that. Where do you think that comes from? <laughs> I guess practice, right? When you do it a lot, uh, when, 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 you, when you do it, you realize that it makes you happy. And so it just kind of becomes the, the knee jerk reaction. Um, but, you know, th there's a there's a couple of different things that I think have really set the course for for allowing me the opportunities that I've been afforded over the last seven years. And, and one, and we talked about this the other day when we were on the phone, right? Um, there's a book that, that my wife and I were reading. I actually pulled it out here so that I could take a picture of the cover for you, but uh, you and me forever by Francis Chan and Lisa Chan. He's kind of a, he's kind of an out there dude. He's a California preacher. He gives up on life every once in a while and goes and does like full-time missions. And, and then he comes back and he starts up the new, and he goes, I don't want, I don't want anybody to know who I am. So he sells everything and he moves to China and, and now nobody knows where he is. But so he's kind of a little bit out there, but, but there was something in this book that really struck me. And I try to tell everybody this same thing that I can. It says, if you and your wife haven't stopped and figured out what your mutual mission is in life, then there is nothing more important. You need to stop and you need to have a conversation with your spouse about what your mutual mission is. And once you find that, you develop the strategy to chase after that. Yeah. And it's funny, right? When you, when you look at this, 
I, I always use the analogy, actually, I can see myself. We spend a lot of time looking at ourselves now that we're on Zooms all the time, right? And when you spend a lot of time looking at yourself, I can pinpoint all the things that I don't like about me, right? If I spend a lot of time face-to-face, I can say, man, look at my wrinkles on my forehead. My eyebrows get too white in the summer. You know, I should shave a little bit more frequently. Where'd these wrinkles come from? Like, what happened, right? I can spend a lot of time looking at those things. But nobody notices that on me unless they spend a long time looking at me. It's the same thing with your spouse. If you, if you spend time face-to-face and you stare at each other and you're trying to fix everything about them or you're trying to give them everything that they need, constantly, then you're going to start nitpicking. You're going to start figuring out all the things that you don't like, right? Because you're spending all your time focused on them. I gave them this, but they didn't react the way that I wanted them to. Or they gave me this, but they gave it to me in the wrong spirit. But if you turn your shoulders and you find a mutual mission and you lock arms and you're looking at something down on the horizon, you kind of ignore the things that aren't working. You're just partners now in a mutual conversation almost a mutual direction towards whatever it is that you're focused on i think that's the that's the secret and by doing that it really made us sit down and think how do you find a mutual mission and who do we want to serve and that got into a whole bunch of things and have taken us on crazy adventures around the world but but it was that first conversation just sitting down and deciding let's figure out what this thing is yeah and i think that's definitely a wild journey to be on i love the fact that you mentioned the mutual mission um because i had a vision board when me and my fiance met And I noticed early on in our relationship, as she was kind of coming up with her goals and her missions or stuff and things, we were parallel, but there were some times where we were diverted with what we were looking at in terms of the future. And as we kind of started talking more on like, how can my picture and your picture fit? That's when we kind of started becoming closer and having that mold of things that kind of come together. And we do actually still need to work on a joint vision board because as of right now, we have both of them hanging up. But I I love that mission of a mutual mission and kind of take those two down and and just hang up one. Um, Let's talk about the adventure of finding that mission. Because I imagine growing up, you probably weren't in high school thinking to yourself, I'm going to be the CEO of ArcPoint Labs one day. (laughs) No, I was was focused on on a lot of other things senior year in high school. It wasn't wasn't anything (laughs) I was focused on now, that's for sure. What was the journey like, I guess, going from high school into college? Because I know that's where a lot of us start to find ourselves. I say start because I don't think we ever really stop that journey. But for the most part, I think big directional changes in life and decisions in life happening in, in high school, college, in our early 20s. What was that journey like for John? Was it a direct path? Were you kind of laser focused on a career or were you kind of just start kind of exploring and figuring yourself out along the way? I failed in just about everything that you can ever imagine failing in. I'm really? Like, oh, a hundred percent. And that's, that's a little bit of like the DNA, no pun intended as a guy that, that owns a, a lab business, but uh, that's a, that's a little bit of, of what really kind of clinched what makes me who I am now is, um, okay. So growing up in West Lafayette, Indiana, that's Purdue country, right? So Purdue university, world-class university. Um, one of the best of the best in the country. I'm a Boilermaker. I ended up finally finishing, but it was a really long, crazy journey. We didn't realize how good of a school that was growing up in that city. And so everybody goes to Purdue. You just think that it's Purdue. And I had a 0.8 GPA my freshman year, 0.8. There's no one in front of that. It's wow. The only reason why I was able to continue is because I had a stepdad that was a professor, right? So, so you kind of get a little bit of that legacy thing going on. And I improved it to a 1.8 my sophomore 
for a year, which is actually my freshman year all over again because I had to take those classes again. I just was not ready for it. I was not in the right head place. I wasn't like going out and partying, doing crazy stuff so much, but I was just exploring who I was. I was rollerblading back when that was a cool thing to do, right? You remember rollerblading? Doing that till like seven o'clock in the morning. I was sleeping through art classes and, and I thought I wanted to be a fine art major. I was a painter. I see the art on the wall back there. I love that. Is that, is that hand sketched chalk or something? It's um, it's on canvas. It's actually, I don't know what it is. I'm renting out the space. So I'll, oh, have, to, well, I I'll have to talk to the owner and get the details. I love it. But anyway, they, uh, I was going to be a fine art major, and then I, I transitioned that to industrial design, started delivering pizzas with a, a couple guys that were industrial design graduates and decided, well, that doesn't seem like a very logical path. And so, so I literally, I just, I just decided I'm done. Maybe this isn't for me. I'm going to drop out of college, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move to Indianapolis. I'm going to be a firefighter. And so I became a firefighter. I, I fought fire for three years in Indy. I have an associate's degree in fire science. I, I decided, man, that's going to be my thing. But Never got on a paid department. Did a ton of volunteer work, but it was really, really hard to get on a paid department. I just yeah. wasn't, I wasn't the guy that they were looking for. And so really wandered through life for a couple of years. But that's where I met my wife. I was waiting tables at a burger joint called Max and Irma's up in Indianapolis. And uh, we started working the same day uh, at this restaurant. And I loved waiting tables. Man, I loved it. I loved it. It's like a mini little conversation, mini little relationships. You got to have 50 little, uh, uh, we'll call them single serving friends in a yeah. night, right? Well, my wife was horrible at it. And I'll tell her this to her face. She sucked <laughs> at it. But I was able to woo her with my crazy side cleaning skills. And I ran her waters for her and all that kind of stuff. But I really, that, that was you know, that was the moment that I realized that maybe I just need to be a people person. I was driving people nuts because I, because I was spending too much time talking. Firefighters, they didn't want to have some loud mouth skinny guy in their, in their firehouse, right? They wanted tough guys, I guess, right? So, so anyway, uh, I got into sales and, and oh my Lord, I loved it. I loved it. I loved being able to, to figure out what it was that people wanted and figuring out how I could match their need with something that I was able to give them, right? And so even from that point, I realized that if I'm serving them, instead of being self, self-serving self in this role as a sales rep, then I'm going to be more successful. And you know what? I became crazy successful. I was with AT&T for a while, and, and I was three out of like 14,000 people at one point in the country. And, and that allowed me to get out into B2B sales. I, I found a company that was going to uh, pay my tuition. And so they let me chip away at my bachelor's degree while I well, I gained some more life experiences doing some sales. And then, and then that led me to a small little toxicology lab uh, called AIT in, in Indianapolis. And, and at AIT, um, once again, just looked at the world in a different way. And we blew that company up. And then blah, 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 blah. It just keeps going, right? But, yeah. but it, was, uh, it was really kind of that, that, that start of a million different paths that weren't working for me. It was not a straight path. I kept hitting brick walls. And I kept mm-hmm. thinking, man, I must be a failure. There must be something broken in me. And that's what the world was telling me too. You're a college dropout, John. You're never going to accomplish anything. Yeah. When I quit the restaurant, she goes, I was just telling a buddy this last night. When I quit the restaurant, she was saying, you'll be back. You're a lifer. <laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with being a lifer, right? But it, it, that was that fire inside of me that, that made me say, forget you, man. I'm going to go crush this next thing so I don't have to go back. And, yeah. And, and just continuing to continuing to. And lots of lots of brick walls in front of in front of me, but um, yeah, it was overcoming those walls that that really kind of has gotten me where I am. Yeah, I mean that's so amazing. I love that story because I want the listeners to really take home the fact that it's okay to be lost at different periods in your life. 
I think a lot of times for me, and I know a lot of people might be able to relate, is comparison is the thief of happiness. And when I was in my early 20s, I had friends that were living in their own apartment and I was living with my parents at age 22 and 23. And I'm like, oh, why can't I live in my own apartment? And I started seeing what my peers were doing and comparing myself to them. And, you know, they're so young and they have a career, they have it figured out. And I was working at a law firm and I just wasn't okay with where I was. And I know a lot of people can relate to that in terms of if they're in a job that they they don't love or they're not sure where they're going to go next. It's okay to be lost. I always say, if you're lost in a dark room, the best thing to do is just start taking a couple steps. And when you hit a wall, then you kind of just run your hand along that wall until you reach a door and open it and go through. You're still in a dark room, but you're farther than where you were before. So. I think that's very encouraging for folks to hear that, you know, if, if you can go from not doing too well in, in college, I love that you, you dropped your GPA because in our first episode of this podcast, I told everybody I had a 1.9 GPA at the end of my first semester. My mom and dad I beat were like, you as the worst. You I did. beat you as the worst. <laughs> you did. And my mom and dad were like, why would you tell people that? <laughs> but I always say that was a reflection of my effort, not my intelligence. And um, of course, when, when we're sharing our GPA scores now, kind of like joyfully, I think that kind of shows it also. I want to talk about as you're advancing in your career and you're, you're kind of on, on the up and up, right? And, and there's an opportunity that was given to you that you actually decided not to go for the dream job. You went for something a little unorthodox. And I love this when we were talking on the phone because I think a lot of folks listening might kind of scratch their head as, as to why a decision would be made in that direction versus taking the dream job. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so I spent the, you know, once, once the career started to take off, it was a rocket ship and really blessed, had a lot of really good opportunities in front of me. And, it, and that can become addictive, right? Especially for a kid that was failing and everything else that he was doing, all of a sudden, I was the best of the best. I was the top dog. I was the one that everybody was turning to. Mm-hmm. And everybody wanted a piece of me, right? I was making companies money and I was, I was being invited into rooms where I was the youngest guy by a good 10 years. And I was I was feeding off of that. I was almost creating my self-worth off of what all these other people were thinking about me and how much they wanted, right? Mm-hmm. They wanted me to be a part of that team. And so with that, with that kind of addiction for that attention, man, I was a workaholic. I was working like crazy and I was traveling like crazy. I was one of those guys that, uh, that knew the, the TSA agent <laughs> at, at the airport, like just high five them. Back when we could, when we could not social distance, I would high five people. A lot, like cheesy amounts. My kids hate it. It's really embarrassing. But I, I would high five people. And, and I knew the pilots that were on the flights because I ran the same route constantly. I mean, I was always gone. I was 150,000 miles a year domestic, which is crazy wow. for anybody that travels. Um, yeah. Now that got me the upgrade. So then once again, that feeds that ego. So I'm in first class. I'm rubbing elbows with, with CEOs and private equity people. And, and we're talking about big, important stuff. And so it feeds this thing, right? But but there was a moment uh, in, in a Denver hotel, I'll never get, forget this, I get out of my hotel and, and I look over the railing into the big massive atrium lobby and there's all these dudes, all there sitting down at their tables eating breakfast and every single one of them, it's a little bald head with a, with a light blue shirt, reading the newspaper, the Wall Street Journal or something, eating alone. Mm. And I look at my shirt, my blue collared shirt, and I thought, 
I'm just like these. We think we're so unique. We think we're so special. And look at this. There's a million of us. Just in this one hotel room, we're not different. We're all chasing the same thing and we're all lonely as all get out. We're all chasing the wrong thing, right? And so that led to that conversation with my wife that I was talking about before. And that started to unravel this whole thing in our life. And we started to question everything that we thought was important and adjust what we thought was important into something that probably is really, really important. Mm. And so we, you know, kind of, kind of fast forward a couple of years and, and, uh, and we, we thought maybe we should be missionaries, right? Let's just drop out of the life, give up the private equity job. Let's sell all the stuff, sell the boat, sell the cars, sell the house. And let's go ahead and just, just go weave baskets somewhere, catch it. I don't know what, I don't know what we thought we were going to do, but we, we thought we were going to do it. And we wanted to do it in Rwanda. That's all we knew, just the destination. Don't know what we're going to do, but we know the destination. And, and that's not very practical. But, but one thing that was practical was we could, we could take a job that was a little bit risky, um, move from Indianapolis, move to Atlanta. And, and take the startup position. If it worked out, then great. It works out and we kind of have an exit strategy for the corporate life. We'll have a payout and then we can go serve people for life. If it doesn't work out, well, then, you know, it doesn't work out. And then we, we can kind of figure out where our life's going to go. Maybe that's the sign that we need in order to, to feel like we're going the direction. All right, so it didn't work out. Six months later, it didn't work out. All right, so that was a quick transition, right? But when I called my wife, it wasn't a, holy cow, what are we going to do? That call, she was so excited. She goes, we're moving to Rwanda, aren't we? And I go, babe, we're not moving to Rwanda. No, no, no. Let's slow it down a little bit. I got this mountain to climb in, in Washington. I wanted to climb Mount Rainier. And so I said, let me go do this. Let me go on an adventure for a minute and kind of find myself a little bit. And so um, so I, I started training to, to climb Mount Rainier. Well, simultaneously, I, I got the word out to the network. And, and I actually was given an opportunity to lead a company. Uh, the first time that I was going to be given a CEO position up in Milwaukee. And the package was amazing. Um, you know, more money than I ever could have imagined at that point in my career. And there were stock options that went along with it. And we were really excited about thinking about living on the lake up there. Uh, that's Midwestern ocean, by the way, Lake Michigan, you know, it's like oceanfront Midwest style. And so we were thinking, man, we can live this big, huge life. You know, it starts to kind of tug at you a little bit, but I go climb Mount Rainier and a nonprofit that we were partnering with is based in Portland, right around the corner. So I go talk to their CEO and he goes, Hey, we're building this hospital thing in Rwanda. Um, you're a healthcare guy. And, and so listen, I, th- I think that you have answers to the questions that we can't answer. Do you mind taking, I mean, we can't pay you, John, but, um, but we'd love for you to go take your family, spend a couple months in Rwanda. And, and if you don't mind, if you could serve us and just, just help us determine what kind of hospital this should be. Should it be a women's center? Should it be a diabetes center? Should it be a heart center? Write the business plan and, and build the website for us. Would that be cool? And so now we have this choice. This is, a, this is a free service opportunity. And if I take this free service opportunity, then I have to turn down the best compensation package and the title that I've been chasing since I took that first sales job. Yeah. Right? And so we had to sit there and struggle with it. But you know what? As soon as I called my wife from Portland and said, hey, listen, I talked to Alan and he wants us to go uh, work in Rwanda. She goes, that's it. I'll get the shot scheduled. There was no question. There's no question in our mind. We're going to get the shot scheduled for the kids. Let's book the air flight. And I think it was like 10 days later, we had the shots that we needed. Another three days later, we were in Rwanda with a house, living in the culture, doing the, doing the full-time missions there. Wow. Right? And so when, when I look back on that, it, it doesn't seem crazy to me. There seems like there was no other option for me. Mm-hmm. And what's so cool about it is that we didn't make money off of it. We didn't benefit financially or anything like that. But man, 
we met so many amazing people and those amazing people have introduced us to other amazing people. Those amazing people have introduced us to more amazing people. And the, and the, and the, and the names that are now in my phone um, based on the work that we did are names that you would know that Amanda, that your audience is going to know. I mean, these are, these are a list names and they want to support the mission too, because when you just live a life of service, man, people feed off of that and they want to be a part of that. Sure. I could have been a CEO of some lab up in Milwaukee and I could have had a big house on the lake and, and maybe the big, huge car and the boat and whatever in the private school. But, but I'll tell you what, um, I'm perfectly happy with where we are in, in Greenville. Um, helping to turn around a franchise system that, 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 I, that I feel is going to crush it and just living a life of service because I don't know, man, there's so much joy in that. There is so much more joy in that. Yeah. And I could, I could feel the joy coming through the zoom call through the microphone. And, and, and I love that story because two things jump out at me is, is first there are multiple forms of compensation. Um, and I'm not talking about vacation time or anything like that. I'm talking about, you know, you have the monetary compensation, but you also have the life impact and the life experience compensation, things that they're going to touch you in, in ways no amount of money can. And, and I, I feel like you were really tuned into that with this opportunity, knowing like, hey, they're not going to pay us, but what we're going to do here is going to stick with us a lot longer and it's going to do more for us as a family and, and as human beings than, than what the big title can. Yeah. And the second, when you talked about that success being addictive, I think a lot of us, uh, I used to play a game with my friends, like, you know, talk about yourself without mentioning what you do. And people have a hard time doing that. You define you yourself by that. Yeah. I mean, if, if I were to describe myself, mainly the first thing that comes out of my mouth is, is the job. And I say, I'm a morning anchor. I'm a podcast host. But we are so much more than that. And I think it's important for us to not kind of rely on those titles so much to define us because it is a trap that we, a lot of us, myself included, fall, fall into. So I, I love the fact that you were able to, to kind of have that awareness and recognition in the moment. And, and third, and, and I see how your story comes together here, right? Because in the period of time when you mentioned you were lost and then you, you were a waiter and you met your wife and then you work on your mutual mission, the fact that you call your wife after <laughs> climbing the mountain, you, you said right away, she's like, all right, we'll, we'll get the kids the shots and, and everything. It's so important. And I'd love for you to touch on that really quick. How important is it to have a partner that jumps into the mission with you? Yeah. You know, okay, so, so there's, a, there's a part of me that wonders all the time. I'm a pretty good sales guy, right? I'm a, I'm a pretty personable guy, I guess. And so, so I can talk a lot of people into a lot of things, right? And so there's a part of me that wonders, it, it, do I just do that to her sometimes, right? Do I have the ability to somehow just get her to tag along with my dreams uh, and make, make her feel like they're her dreams, right? And I have to be very careful of that um, because I want to make sure that it is authentic, that it is something that, that she wants to do. But the thing about my wife specifically is that um, when I met her, she was 10 times the person that I could ever be. She had just got back from the missions uh, world, serving in China. She was smuggling Bibles from Hong Kong into communist China as an 18-year-old kid. I mean, I, I, should, wow. I, I still wonder how her dad had enough faith to think that this was okay to send a, a girl from Greenwood, Indiana to the <laughs> communist China to smuggle Bibles. She had a big dress that she'd put the Bibles in and pretend like she was pregnant wow. and walk across, the, walk across the border with this kid that, that pretended to be her husband. And, and then they dump them off into, into these underground churches. And so I was a silly kid 
trying to wait tables and sing a lot of karaoke, right? <laughs> and she was just coming back from this amazing life-changing situation, right? And so she always kind of had that in her. And so, so when it came to that moment where, where we were talking about mutual missions and all that kind of stuff, it was a long time journey. It wasn't a one day conversation, right? It was a, this is what you're passionate about. This is what I'm passionate about. She kind of cared about the place. She cared about the people. She fell in love with the culture of Rwanda and she just knew I need to serve those people, but I'm more of a, I'm more of a strategy guy, right? I can't just go to a location and try to figure it out. I need a plan. I need, I need something that's going to show me that I'm going to have a purpose and that I can, I can use the skills that I've been given in order to make the, make the, the area a better place. So, so it was that combination of her passion for a location combined with just that perfect scenario. I mean, they needed a hospital and I do healthcare, you know, yeah. they were starting from something from scratch, from scratch. And I'm a growth strategist and it happened to be in Rwanda. So there wasn't, there wasn't like this, um, Hey babe, I got a crazy idea, but, but let me, when I called her and I told her that, it was so no brainer. It was so obvious what the direction was that we needed to go because so many stars aligned that of course we were going to do this. And really we had this thought that I can't believe that. The, I mean, we were in such a good place back then and we still try to like chase that place over and over. It's a constant journey. You don't stay there. You constantly chase that, that, that head place when you can be there. But um, we, we really had this thought of like, it's an amazing job, but listen, Job. Everybody gets a job. You can get a job. You can do anything. You can make a lot of money. Do it. You're a sales guy. You make a lot of money doing anything, right? Mm -hmm. But when are you going to have the opportunity to build the nation's largest hospital in Rwanda? You're never going to have that again. Nobody's ever going to ask you to do that again. So to us, the combination of her passion country, a project that I could absolutely like get so intensely uh, passionate about and a unique opportunity that you just can't say no to. Boom. Yeah. There it was. It was a yes. It had to be a yes. Absolutely. You, when you join the two passions together, it kind of, it's two puzzle pieces perfectly fitting together. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I want to talk about Arc Point Labs now as we come to the end of the, the podcast, because um, after that big venture, growing the hospital in Rwanda, you get the opportunity coming back. You land in Greenville, South Carolina, CEO of Arc Point Labs. And as you kind of referenced a couple of times, can't really high five right now because of the pandemic and everything that's going on. And some folks might have started to see Arc Point Labs and some of the headlines around the advancement in the testing and kind of getting that sped up with some folks having to wait a couple of days. What has the adventure been kind of uh, getting familiar with the company and then hopping into the operations and then dealing with this pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was brought into ArcPoint as a growth strategist and, and to some extent kind of a turnaround guy, right? Um, the company was focused primarily on drug and alcohol testing and helping employers, small and medium-sized businesses all across the country, help navigate kind of the complexities of the opiate crisis mm -hmm. and the complexities of marijuana laws changing in different states. And so when you, when you talk about drug testing, you think, oh, we do a drug test and, and it's pretty simple. We don't do a drug test and that's pretty simple. But there's a lot of complexity behind there. And, and we're industry experts in what we do. Now, that's all well and good, and that, that's, really, that's really kind of a cool business, but healthcare itself and getting into more clinical testing um, is really the wave of the future. Uh, we've all seen healthcare deductibles climb, and so, so you might have amazing insurance. I don't know what your insurance plan is like, but, but the vast majority of, of Americans have a high deductible health plan. That means that when they go get a lab test, 
they're going to spend a boatload of money. Now, the problem with that is if you know what you're getting in advance or you have control over that, maybe you'd be willing to spend that money. But you have no idea what you're getting because your doctor's ordering it. And you have no idea how much it's going to cost until after the service is, is rendered. And so you just get a bill in the mail for something that you've already gotten that you didn't even know that you wanted. And you kind of freak out a little bit. Maybe that's a $500 test. Yeah. Well, what I know about the industry is that that $500 test is not a $500 test. It's the insurance programs that make that a $500 test. And so with ArcPoint's national network and, and national buying power, we're able to partner with those clinical labs, buy those tests at a discount, and then offer those tests to consumers so that they can get the tests that they need at the price that they know what they're going to be paying. And in many cases, it's absolutely a fraction of the cost, sometimes 10% of the cost of what you'd pay going through your insurance program. Wow. We take HSA and FSA. So, so, so we started building out that program and really developing that. Well, in order to build out that program, you have to build out a foundation. And so we had to build an operational team that was going to be able to onboard new labs, onboard new testing, train our franchisees in how to market those tests market those tests through digital platforms like a website and Facebook and LinkedIn and, and other social media platforms and pay-per-click campaigns and SEO and all. So we kind of built this whole kind of modular engine that allowed us to take lab testing that was pretty, pretty esoteric, kind of, kind of unknown mm -hmm. and, and weird and unique, combined it into packages to tell somebody like you, hey, if you're unable to explain why you're tired all the time and you're gaining weight unexplainably, um, I think it could be a thyroid issue, maybe. So why don't you order a thyroid test? Or if you think maybe you have a, uh, you know, a, a metabolic issue, things don't seem to be jiving very well, order our metabolism test. Maybe chronic inflammation is the root cause of what it is that you're doing. So order our, our chronic inflammation test. So, so we started to package these tests in ways that general consumers could understand what they were. Now, that's great, and that's, a, that's an amazing market, and we've had a lot of success in pushing that out across the country. But as soon as the pandemic hit, two things happened simultaneously. One, we looked at that engine, and we realized we have exactly what the country needs mm -hmm. because we can get all these different tests from all these different lab partners to combine them into one platform, educate the consumers on what the difference is between all those tests, and bring them to market very, very quickly. Yeah. But two... This is what I do, right? I want to serve my franchisees. That's the purpose of a franchisor is to serve my franchisees, to give them the tools what they need in order to find their personal, professional, and financial success, all right? Mm -hmm. And so they were going to be scared. I was scared. We were all scared. So back in March, there's this big unknown. I'll never forget. I felt like an idiot buying a 20-pound bag of rice. Like, mm -hmm. huh, what if the world explodes and I need this 20-pound bag of rice? Well, I feel like a fool for buying this right now, but is it worth, worth like not buying it because I'm going to feel like a fool for buying it? So I went ahead and bought the 20 pound bag of rice, though, just in case rice. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's probably okay. still in the pantry. So, so anyway, you know, we were all kind of scared. We didn't know what this was going to do. We didn't know how dangerous the virus was. And so, um, so I think it was like March 25th, I did a video for our franchisees that, that kind of just outlined for them. This current situation, this current environment that we're sitting in at some point is going to become a memory. It's not going to be current. It's going to be history. And this is kind of a moment, just like 9-11, just like Pearl Harbor, just like uh, D-Day. Um, this is a moment that kids are going to learn about in textbooks in the future. People are going to study how people reacted to this crisis. And so what do you want to do? What do you want your story to be when this whole thing is said and done? 20 years from now, when your grandkids are sitting on your lap, do you want 
Do you want to be telling a story that I sat on the sidelines? Or do you want to tell the story that you sat in the trenches and you fought this head on, right? And so with that as our marching orders, we decided let's figure out every single test that's available. Let's lump them into our platform and let's send them out to the market. And so we beat the big labs to market by a month. Wow. March 16th is when the diagnostic policy for COVID testing was released by the FDA. And by April 1st, we had our first samples being collected across the country. By April 9th, they changed the rules on what type of testing you could be conducted, but we pivoted with a website um, that day, pivoted with a webinar to educate our franchisees on a different style of test. And on, on April 10th, boom, that next day we launched a new product. And that's just what we've been doing time and time and time again, whether it's oral fluid collections, not that brain kind of kind of scraper test. We have a shallow test, right? Um, we have true immune, which is a, an immunity test. We have the antibody test. That's the, that's the one that everybody was talking about for, for, for years and years and years, right? It, feel, it feels like it was years and years. Yeah. And then we have, we have a network of labs to do the actual, um, the actual virus test. So in some cases, we can get your results in 30 minutes. In other cases, we can get it back uh, with a PCR test in 24 hours. In other cases, if you want a more uh, cost-effective route, then we can get one uh, that takes a little bit longer, but, but it's the same quality. It just takes a little bit longer to get back. So by building this pipeline of all these different labs that all funnel into our platform, what we've built out of small Greenville, South Carolina, out of this little kind of kind of amazing sleepy town outside the mountains is the most comprehensive COVID-19 testing platform in the world right now. Yeah. And we're very, very proud to have that. And congratulations on, on that accomplishment. And it's great to kind of see that he, for, for someone living in Greenville so close to home, as you mentioned, just outside of the mountains here. And it seems to be all driven by service. When you mentioned serving serving the people, this is exactly what the people need. Um, I love the fact that that seems to be the driving force um, with all of this, not just with what you're doing now, but kind of <laughs> really your whole entire story focused in service. So one of my last questions for you, John, is who are you looking to serve next? <laughs> you know, um, I think we might've talked about this. I love that you have a vision statement on your wall, right? I'm actually going to show you something. Um, I do this every year. My, my wife and I, we sit down and, and we write a mission and a vision statement and I, it's just chicken scratch, right? And I put it over here in my study so that I can see it all the time. And I keep them for years at the beginning of this year. Um, I said there were three things. I want to be the average of the five people that I'm closest to, right? If you're the average of the five people, that means you got to fire some people from your life because they're dragging you down. It means you got to hire new people because they're going to inspire you to be better tomorrow than you are today. And that's the second thing. I'm going to constantly wake up tomorrow in some kind of incremental way better than I am today. And the last thing is um, enjoy the struggle. So I wrote this in January. Enjoy the struggle. Yeah. There's going to be struggles and we're going to need to, we're just going to need to sit back and we're going to figure out how to find joy in whatever it is that we're going to go through this year, 2020. And holy shnikes, I had no idea what that was going to mean in January of 2020. But man, I wrote it down, enjoy the struggle. And so now that's what I have to do. That leads me to the vision statement, be a positive influence to as many people as possible. And so um, I think that, that with ArcPoint, ArcPoint can be a very, very big tool and a very, very big hammer that we can swing to really help our country. My doorbell rings. So you're going to hear the rest of my family. My dog's running around here in a second. Uh, we're going uh, to serve as many people as possible to get the, the test that they need as quickly as they can get the results so that they can get back to their life normally. 
All right. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a really, really big mission for us here in this country. Um, yeah. we have a, we have another mission. In fact, we, uh, we just solidified our first post-COVID sale for a, for a job creation initiative in Rwanda that we started two years ago uh, called Love Avocado. Uh, you, everybody loves avocados, right? Yeah. Uh, I love avocados. And, and so we've started a, a company uh, that's headquartered in, in Rwanda called Love Avocado, where we're hoping to create 10,000 jobs through the distribution of Haas avocados uh, to eventually the United States, but to Europe and, and Asia with two primary focuses. Um, one, uh, to, to improve the supply chain that, that is kind of lacking in Rwanda right now to help other farmers and other products get things into the city and get them out of the country. Uh, two, to create jobs uh, for rural farmers that are averaging 71 cents a day right now. We feel mm-hmm. that we can increase that uh, threefold through this initiative, which isn't a lot of money um, to, to us, but to them, that's the difference between having shoes on their feet, having clothing for their kids, having three meals a day, sending their kids to school, and having health care. So just by that little initiative, we're, we're hoping to be able to do that for, for up to 10,000 people in the country in the next 18 months. Um, and so we, we have our first order that was placed actually yesterday, uh, post-COVID order. So, so we're, back, we're back on track with that. Uh, the country opens back up August 1st. I hope to get over there sometime in September, October, and, and hug on all those people, see the kids that, that we've kind of taken on as as, as sponsored kids, uh, as part of our family and, and then go see our team that's been working on that. So John, that's, that's, that's amazing. Congratulations on that also. And, um, something tells me you're going to continue to serve for, for as long as you're needed and not just in, in the States, as you mentioned, but really around the world. And hopefully a lot of the listeners right now through the podcast have, have felt that service and, and definitely got some, some good tidbits out of this podcast. Um, throughout I have a question for you. Minutes. Can I ask you a question? Go ahead. Flip the script. Who are you without using your job to describe you? I am um, aspiring to be the best man I can be for, uh, to make my parents proud, to make my fiance, future wife proud, and uh, hopefully leave a family and a legacy behind that makes the world a little bit of a better place because I was here. I love it. Better yeah. tomorrow than you are today, right? Absolutely. I say 1% each day might not be a lot, but at the end of the year, it's 365%. That's doing pretty good. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do want to give folks and listeners and the watchers on YouTube an opportunity to connect with you and learn more about Art Point Labs or whatnot. What are some of the links or, or uh, social media pages that they can look up there to kind of find out more about the initiative and everything? You yeah, absolutely. Um, you, can, you can Google Art Point Labs near me and, and our website will pull up. Um, and so that's a great way to find us. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, Instagram is more of the fun stuff, kind of behind the scenes that we do as a corporate office, taking care of our employees and, and, and some of the, the fun initiatives that we do here around Greenville. Um, and then you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, pretty easy to find John Constantine <laughs> at our point. And, uh, and I have a personal website, johnaconstantine.com. If you want to follow our journey and learn about what we're doing in, in Rwanda, listen, we, we love to bring people to Rwanda. So if you have an interest, listen, you join me. What do you think? September. I think- that's awesome. I'd Let's love to. Road. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. My fiance and I actually on our vision board when we were working on mine slash hers, um, both of my parents are from Haiti and we agreed we wanted um, kind of as we kind of advance in our careers and things to give back and build schools in Haiti. And I so that's it. something that we had on, on our, my vision board was kind of like the Haitian school foundation where we can go back, build schools, but definitely want to lean into 
into giving back because I think that's what's missing for my personal life experiences is uh, really kind of pouring into others. I haven't really, uh, being honest on the podcast, I don't think I've really gone out of myself enough to pour into others and I'm trying to actively play into that. Actually was supposed to do a mission trip to Nicaragua with mm-hmm. one of uh, my friends, but that was put on hold because of COVID. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, let me, let me kind of add this little tidbit here that mm-hmm. um, I, I feel like I can condense. Um, there, there's so many good nuggets in the new Testament, right? But I feel like I can condense the new Testament into four words, right? And it, and it kind of comes down to, to Jesus said, there's lots of these laws and these rules and all that kind of stuff. And we can make this really complicated. And there's a lot of theology that you guys will probably try to build colleges about it. He didn't say this, but right, this is what he's saying. You're going to build all these colleges and all that. But let me just tell you, those two laws that I told you, love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your mind. And, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Like I have one even better than that. Just be me to them. Just be just like I was to you. Remember all those things that you did and what you're about ready to do and all that kind of stuff. Just be the way that I reacted to you, to everybody else in the world. Right. Yeah. And so I think that it, it is our charge it is our job. And this doesn't, you don't even have to, you don't even have to be a Christian. You don't have to believe in, 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 in all that. You just have to, if you read the book and you follow what Jesus did, nobody can argue that he was a pretty solid dude, right? He's, he's a pretty good guy to, to kind of emulate your life off of. A little bit of a rebel too, right? He kind of fought the powers to be and did yeah. all that. Stand up to the man. I love all that, right? So, so be Jesus to everybody in the world, right? And here's the thing. I think the bigger our microphone gets, the bigger our, our voice gets, the bigger that, 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 our, that our influence and our, and our power get, the bigger responsibility we have to make sure that we are being Jesus to as many people as possible. And so that's a really, really big weight on my shoulders as, as our, as our span of control as the titles increase, as our, as our, uh, as our, our media presence increases and, and as our locations expand. Um, it is so important for people to feel that from this company. And so yeah. same for you, buddy, right? Yeah, you, have, you have a pretty big microphone, so get out there. Let's use it. Yeah. And I, I hope to, and I'm adopting that each and every single day, really the responsibility and the weight behind it. And, um, you know, I do take it seriously and I hope to grow each and every single time, um, that I get on this microphone, hoping to serve somebody that maybe listened to the past 30 minutes might've been going through a storm of their own kind of gets the motivation to get through it, uh, towards the end. Cause, cause John, you, you dropped some great tidbits along the way. I, I was kind of writing in my notebook. One of the things you, you said is um, look at what we have the opportunity to do. That was early on in terms of there was a lot of service uh, throughout the, the theme of this podcast. And I love the fact that you look at it as an opportunity to do something. My fiance and I were driving to Aldi. We were going shopping not too long ago. And it was one of those afternoons in Greenville where we get a downpour for 20 minutes and it clears up. But the, it just started raining and there was a homeless guy on the corner. And we're in the age where I don't carry any cash or any change or in my car or anything. But I had an umbrella in my, my trunk. And it was one of these big umbrellas. Like, you could fit a family of four under this thing. And um, Jess was like, but that's our only umbrella. I was like, well, we have a car. He, he doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> yeah. have anything. Yeah. So I ran out there, gave him the umbrella and, and ran back. And, and like you mentioned, it was, it was something that you felt good doing. I'm walking through all these soaking wet, but I could care less because you know, I know I was able to help somebody in a time of need. So look at what we have the opportunity to do. And the fact of setting up a mutual mission with your life partner, whoever your spouse is, having that, that mutual mission and fitting it together like puzzle pieces, 
helps make the decision process so much easier along the way. And I love the fact how you mentioned early on, failed at everything, going through the journey of college, dropping out of college, firefighter, waiter. These are the things we go through in life as we try to find our way. So it's okay to be lost for the listeners. And finally, success, that can be addictive. Don't don't get obsessed with the titles. You know, Focus more on, on the impact you want to have on the world. Just some of the tidbits that, that I was picking up throughout this episode, John. Um, I think a lot of folks are going to enjoy it, maybe play it a couple times. Can't thank you enough for being on the podcast today. I appreciate you having me. This was fun. Definitely, definitely. We'd, ha- we'd have to catch up sometime soon. And when we're able to see each other in person, I'd love to share a coffee. Let's do it. Absolutely. And to the listeners and the watchers, thank you so much for making it to the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, leave a rating and let us know how we did. And as always, you can support us through our Patreon page and get some behind the scenes audio and pictures as well. And as we always say at the end of the episode, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without a little pain. Let's grow. The No Rain, No Rainbows podcast is recorded at Camaraderie, a collective workspace in Greenville, South Carolina, right off the Swamp Rabbit Trail. If you're looking for a place to grow your business, network with other professionals, and establish your own workspace, Camaraderie is the place to do so. Get access to high-speed internet, private showers and towel service, free methodical coffee, and free beer on tap. For more details, be sure to head over to camaraderiecowork.com or hit the link in the show notes and find out how you can lock in your space with rates starting at just $99 a month. Be sure to tell them that Ted sent you and try it out for free. You never know, you just might find a new home at Camaraderie. Let's grow.